One of the joys and privileges of preaching through the Word of God for all of us, myself, but as well as uh, you as well, one of the things we get to do is to get into each of these passages and to enter into what God is doing. One of the things that we're going to see this morning as we look at the life of Mary and Elizabeth and as the events unfold, one of the things that's really difficult, one of the things that's very challenging is to actually see God at work in an open way. It's hard to perceive exactly what God is doing today in our time. It was difficult for them to see what God was doing in their day in their time. In fact, the reason why the religious leaders proceeded to crucify Jesus was because when God actually was at work in their midst, and he clearly was, um, they couldn't believe that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. When God actually began to do the work that God had clearly promised he was going to do many, many centuries before, when it actually came to pass, the people involved in it all looked at it and thought, well, this isn't actually God at work here. This isn't God actually doing what we expect God to do. Surely when God gets to doing work, there's going to be thunder and lightning and, I don't know, some kind of celestial event is going to occur, some comet's going to go streaking by or I don't know, the sundial's going to go backwards three degrees instead of forward to some something. I mean, surely God is going to do great and marvelous and amazing things. Remember when Naaman came to get his leprosy healed, and Elijah sends out, uh, Elisha sends out his servant, Gehazi, and says, uh, go tell Naaman, this great guy, uh, to go wash himself seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman is like, wash myself in a river? If I want to, you know, we have much better rivers where I came from than the Jordan River is this kind of green, ugly looking thing. It's a dirty river. I mean, if getting washed in a dirty river is going to cleanse me of my leprosy, there's lots of rivers I could go dunk myself in. I surely expected the prophet to come out here and, I don't know, to clap his hands and to call down lightning or something. Go dunk in a river. What kind of kind of advice is that? And of course, his servants looked at him and said, you know, if the prophet had asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? He's asking you to do a simple thing. Just go do it. When Jesus arrives, you know, when he, when he breaks out on the scene into the nation of Israel, he is a typical Jewish guy, 30 years old, give or take. Um, He's common looking, ordinary. Uh, He, to look at him and to say, this is God in the flesh, you know, that's pretty tough. In fact, he looks so normal. um, Isaiah says he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor was his appearance such that we should be Attracted to him. Just a regular guy. He's in regular Jewish clothing. I'm sure he's got a beard. I I don't think he stood out in a crowd. I think Jesus was just 
like the carpenter's son from Nazareth. I mean, who in the world do you think you are? In fact, I asked him that question on a number of occasions. Who do you think you are? We know who you are. We know your mother and your brothers. And Who do you make yourself out to be, anyway? Think you're some big, important guy? Um, yes, actually, he was some big, important He was the very son of God. In fact, when he performed the miracles, they looked at him and thought, I don't know how he's... You know, I think the devil must be doing something here. I think maybe the devil is just trying to deceive us. There's got to be some kind of deception going on here because this guy is just a guy. Surely if God were going to send his Messiah, right? If God were going to send his own son into this world, well, God has already promised that Elijah will come before that event. So we're waiting for the heavens to open up and the chariot that Elijah rode up on to come back down on. And then Elijah's going to come off the fiery chariot and he's going to declare that shortly following me is going to be the very son of God and, and the chariot's going to go back up and it's going to come back down and then the son of God is going to appear. Surely that is going to be how God is going to work, right? I mean, Elijah's going to come back and, and the son of God is going to arrive and, and fire is going to come out of his mouth and he's going to destroy the Romans and set up all kinds of thrones and we're all going to rule and reign and this is how it's all going to work, right? There's every reason to think, as these things go, that because they were products of their own day and age, that Zacharias and Elizabeth, his wife, they probably had similar expectations of how God was going to finally work. Mary, Joseph, everybody just kind of, yes, we expect God to send his Messiah. And when he does, wow, it's going to be quite the event. And yet... When we look at this passage, what this passage is going to show us is what God actually does. How God really carries this out. And yeah, there, there are some miraculous things, but they are not the focal point. When Mary, well, we'll, we'll, go, through the, we'll go through the passage. Um, God is doing amazing things, right? Let's face it, Zacharias and Elizabeth are old. They're not supposed to have kids. And they do end up having kids. And, and that, is, that is pretty amazing. But you know, when, when God proceeds to have Mary get pregnant, Luke doesn't include this, but Matthew does. In Matthew chapter 1, Luke writes this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... And in, the, in this culture, to be betrothed is that you have already sat down and you have already drank the wine. If a, if a young man wanted to marry a, a Jewish girl, he would sit down at a table, there would be two glasses of wine, and you would propose marriage. Will you marry me? If she drank the wine, that's good. She drank, you drank. It was a binding contract. The only way to break this thing was to actually get a divorce. You were as good as married. He would then go home, get working on his house, and get his house ready to his father's satisfaction. By the way, dad had to be happy with the house. Because if you left it up to the husband, and, you know, slap together a tar paper shack and let's go get her. No, no, sorry. This thing has actually got to be ready for you to go get your wife. Which is, by the way, why the guys tended to be a little older 
and the girls a little younger because the guy needed to be secure in a, in a financial way to build a house, to put it together, to be ready to go get his wife. And his father would look the situation over. And when his father said, okay, then that was the time to go get your wife. Which is why, just for the record, when Jesus, when they say to him, so when are you coming back? He's like, it's not for me to know. That's for the father. I'm simply the bridegroom. I'm going to come back to get my bride, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. But I'm going to go home and prepare the place for the bride. And, and, and the father will say when it's ready. It's not for me to know. That's in the father's hands. So for me to play the role of the bridegroom to come back and get my bride, I have to wait for my father to say so. All right, so Mary and Joseph are betrothed now. The only way to break this thing off is a divorce. So before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to divorce her or to put her away secretly, quietly. This is Jesus' introduction to this world. This is the circumstances under which God desired his son to be born into the world. Really? Yes. Don't you, do you think Mary didn't try to explain to Joseph? No, no. Joseph, no, there is not some other man, there is not some other guy, no. God, spirit, God, an angel came, and you can look at Joseph like, really, you're going to tell me that some angel showed up, And uh, really, you've become pregnant with no guy at all. Yeah, okay. Um, He didn't buy it. He, He didn't buy it. It says that he being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, he's got to come up with this tall tale, you know, um, desired to put her away secretly. He's he's not buying her, her reasoning. So Jesus is born under a cloud. I mean, if Joseph doesn't buy this, how do you think this went for the rest of the community? Which all realize, you know, we're going to have this wedding, and here comes the bride, and she's got a suspicious little bulge in her stomach here when we actually get around to having the ceremony. Um, I don't know about you, but, I mean, if I were going to, if I were God and I were going to bring my son into the world, as the, are these the circumstances under which you would do this? But this is the circumstances under which God did it. Why? Because God uses normal people to do extraordinary things. So when he considered this, of course, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For what has been conceived in her is in fact of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place. What was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Now, does this happen in the temple with Joseph down there worshiping and 
The angel gets up and broadcasts this and announces it in a big, loud voice so the thousands of people can all hear what God has to say to Joseph. When the angel showed up to talk to Mary, did he show up in the whole town and call, and call a big meeting and get everybody there? No, all of this stuff is kind of occurring quietly. The angel appears to Mary, and then an angel appears to Joseph. When God is at work, it's not with big, loud trumpets and everyone knowing. And oh, God is, this is some of the most, in fact, this is the most amazing work God is going to do in this world apart from creating the world. And how does God do it? Quietly. Behind the scenes. He picks a young girl who is in no way outstanding whatsoever other than that she is a righteous young lady, but had God not chose her, she would have just moved on into obscurity. God pulls her out, and we'll see in a minute as God deals with her life. But this is what God is doing. He picks a young couple who, under somewhat suspicious circumstances, uh, to do great things. God can take ordinary events and ordinary people and do extraordinary things. There are miracles, of course. Mary is, in fact, pregnant, being a virgin. That is pretty miraculous. Uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth do, in fact, have a baby in their old age, and that is, in fact, miraculous. Angels have appeared to them, but even these events are occurring quietly and behind the scenes. This is how God works. I, I did a church planting ministry back in New England, and uh, it was, it was a, you know, church planting is always challenging. And so I ended up working the second job, and I'm working in this factory. And the factory was an assembly line kind of a deal. They had various parts that they made. And one of the jobs that I was working at in this assembly line was one that was fairly quiet. Some of them were quite noisy, but this one was fairly quiet. And so you had a small group of people that you were, you know, working for hours, 10-hour days. Um, and, and so as you're working, you have all the opportunity in the world to talk to the people next to you. And there's this young girl who... You explain who you are, you know, pastoring a church. And, and so she had a bunch of questions. She had a huge bunch of questions about the Bible. And so we sat and talked about that and, and answering all those questions. And finally she says to me, you know, I'm not even sure. I believe there's a God. What evidence do you have that there is a God anyway? I said to her, well, you tell me. What are the odds of you standing here at this job, at this place, at this time, next to a person who can answer every question of the Bible you have. If that's not God at work, if you don't think that's God working in your life, I what are you looking for? And what are the chances of that? You have these questions, and you're working next to someone who has the answers. That is how God works. That's how it works. You don't need lightning. You don't, you don't need some... Miracle. God is at work in our lives. God is at work this morning. God is at work here. We sing praises to God. We are worshiping God. God takes ordinary people 
and does extraordinary things. This is what God is doing and what's amazing. And what we should learn, clearly, as we go through this passage, one of the things I want us to observe is that the people involved in this, unlike the religious leaders, the religious leaders are going to crucify Jesus. They're not going to believe. They're not going to repent. They're not going to see that God is, in fact, at work in their, in their lives because they expected God to do something he wasn't doing. They expected God to do, as it were, I would say a miracle, except Jesus does lots of miracles. But they wanted more. God is at work. The fact that you are here, the fact that we own a copy of the Word of God, the fact that we have an accurate translation and that the Word of God has come to us in a form that we can read and understand and be encouraged by, All of these things are, in fact, the very power and work of God. God is at work in our lives. God is at work in your life. The very fact that you are here this morning is God working in your life. Find great assurance in that. It is not a mistake that you're here. God is at work in your life. God is doing things in your life. God is going to use your life to influence other people. Just speak. Speak what God is doing in your life. So Mary has had the angel appear to her. The Spirit of God has hovered over her, as we saw before. The Spirit of God hovers over the water. The the Spirit of God casts a shadow over the nation of Israel. So God hovers over her. A new life is born in her. She is far enough along to recognize that she is now pregnant. And so at this time, she gets up and in a hurry, goes to the hill country, to the city of Judea, to see her, exactly what relative Elizabeth is, is difficult to determine, probably aunt, cousin, something. She's related to Mary. And so she runs to go see her. The angel has said, oh, and by the way, Elizabeth is also with child. So she goes. Now, we have to enter into the day and age. It's hard for us. We have such ability to communicate between the phone and email and all of the, we just, the barriers have disappeared. We can get in touch with pretty much anybody, anytime that we really want to. This day and age, the world in which these folks lived, which actually wasn't all that long ago, this is how all of mankind was, uh, very difficult to communicate with people. Even if you were fortunate enough to be educated enough to have the ability to write, the very procurement of writing implementations, to have ink or to have a parchment, to have the ability to sit and to put together a letter, then you've got to have the thing, now that it's written, you've got to actually find a reliable postal service. Now, the Romans did run a postal service, but your ability to necessarily get a letter into that postal stream, hmm, maybe, maybe not. The Romans and the Roman government, they did it, but for just the average person to send a letter would have been an enormously challenging thing. So to get news, for Mary to get news from Elizabeth, or for Elizabeth to get news to Mary, frankly, for anybody to get news from anybody, was a very difficult proposition. It's kind of foreign to us, but no phones, no no letters, no nothing. 
except word of mouth, travelers. Someone would come, and you might ask them, so what did you hear about so-and-so? And they might be able to tell you, depending on who they were, they may not know anything or who knows what they know. So when someone arrived at your door, part of your greeting, part of talking is to now tell me what's going on. This could be a fairly lengthy amount of time that you would, and, but this is all part of the greeting. This is part of the greeting because we now got to catch up with one another. I, I literally haven't seen you in five years. We haven't talked. We haven't seen one another. There's nothing has transpired between us. Have you ever had the chance to run into like an old college roommate after 10 or 15 years? And you pick up like you never, like it never stopped. You just sit down, and, but what you pick up on is you, you just pour out everything that's gone on. And they pour out everything that's gone on with them. And it's just like, just great. It's a great, I've, I've had that happen. It's, a, it's just a marvelous time. You just sit and have a, a great time with this person you haven't seen literally in years. Well, this is what's going on here. Mary arises, and she goes in, and she enters the house of Elizabeth, and she greets her. Now, this isn't, hi, Elizabeth, how you doing? And that's the greeting. Oh, no. They sit down, and so, Elizabeth, tell me. And Elizabeth is going to go into this while this, you know, this angel appeared to my husband while he was down there in Jerusalem and told him that we were going to have a child, and can you believe it? Here I am. I'm six months pregnant. I mean, look at this. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's embarrassing, but it's wonderful. It's, it's like I, I, and she's just going to go on and on and on about this. And then the moment is going to come when she gets done with her, view of things. And so now, Mary, how's it going with you? And Mary is going to relate, well, you know, that angel that talked to your husband, same angel came and talked to me. And she is going to relate what has happened to her. All of this is going to be part of the greeting. And what's going to happen is, as she begins to relate this, and as she begins to share, well, verse 41, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, heard the story of what God has been doing in her midst, heard that the very Holy Spirit of God overshadowed me, and I am now pregnant by God. When she heard this, Elizabeth, the babe leaped in her womb. John the Baptist, in her womb, leaps. Now, the prophecy given of John the Baptist to Zacharias' dad is that he will be great in the sight of the Lord and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Well, here he is, six months in his mother's womb and she speaks about the coming of the Messiah and John leaps in her womb. How does Elizabeth react to this? They understand, and this is important to understand, these are not two ladies who are just kind of like, huh, I wonder what in the world's going on here. That was kind of strange. No, oh no. These are ladies who expect and who see God at work in their life. She cries out with a loud voice. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, speaks. And she speaks and says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In the ancient world, a woman wanted to have a great child. And this is what you wanted. Ladies in the ancient world measured how they were doing by how their kids did, right? So as 
the Spirit of God fills Elizabeth. She looks at Mary and says, you know, you, you are, you are a great mom. Blessed are you among women. How it, has it happened, verse 43, to me, that the mother of my Lord would come to me? These are people who believe and who understand that the events unfolding before their very eyes are God at work in their lives. She believes that Mary is in fact the mother of the coming Messiah. They believe in that moment, at that time, that God is at work in their lives. Zacharias has probably standing around, right? Zacharias is over there like, he can't, he can't talk. In fact, it's possible that he can't hear. Because when they go to say, to him, what, do you, what do you want your son's name? They actually make signs to him. And you would think that they could just say to him, so what do you want him named? But they, they try to work it out. So here we find that unlike, I, these are the ladies. The ladies are like, God is at work in our midst. Zacharias, when, when the angel told him, how do I know this is true? Which is why he can't talk. Joseph, when, he, when Mary tells him, yeah, well, we'll try to do this privately. You know? Look, guys, God is at work. Yeah, Zacharias doesn't believe. Joseph doesn't believe. These ladies, oh, they believe. They believe. God is at work in their midst. She says, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. For joy. She's only six months pregnant. Her baby is experiencing joy, emotion. This is a person. She's six months pregnant. This is a person. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Mary, I want you to be blessed because you believe that God has spoken to you. To hear prophecy and to watch prophecy be fulfilled, two different things. Everybody believed the Messiah was coming. Everybody believed that eventually God was going to send someone. This was not new. This was not news, right? Um, when the wise men show up, and they go into Jerusalem, and, and they go to Herod, and they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Herod's like, well, I don't, I, I, Herod. I. So he calls the scribes and the, and the high priests, and he, where is he? They're like, um, well, he's, uh, Jerusalem is what it actually says, but, I mean, well, I don't really think the Messiah is here. Who are these guys? When the wise men walk away from Herod and go to Bethlehem, do, do any of the scribes or the high priests, any of them follow him? Like, well, if God's sending his Messiah, I mean, I want to go see this. Oh, no, no, no. No. You're like, really? Yeah. These guys come, they open up the book of Daniel, they show you, you know, from the decree to rebuild the wall from Cyrus to this moment. I mean, this is it. Daniel said it right here. And yet, no, just right over their heads. Herod does the politically expedient thing, of course, and kills all the kids two years old and under because, well, I mean, it might be threatened, but no, not the priests. 
None of the scribes. Nobody actually goes with the wise men over to Bethlehem to see what in the world God's doing. Because, I mean, is God really doing something? Really? So here we see Mary and Elizabeth actually believing. But you have to compare them to all those other people who had similar stuff. Didn't believe it all. Just let it just water off a duck's back. When God is at work, you kind of have to open your eyes. You have to look around. You have to say, you know what? The fact that I am in this church and the word of God is being preached and we're hearing the word of God and we're seeing the word of God, you know what? I think God is actually at work in our midst. Amen. God actually is at work in our midst. This is God working in your life. The very fact that we've got this book open, we're studying it, we're looking at what's in it, we're discussing it, and we're trying to think biblically, you know, that is God at work in our life. And what God could do from this, the lives that God could change, and the transformation that can occur to you, and the eternal rewards you're earning are just phenomenal. It doesn't require, as it were, some light from the sky. God is at work. So Mary prays, and and Mary responds to what Elizabeth has just said. And through the Spirit of God, Mary is going to speak, and, and she says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary has true worship. My soul and my spirit, which, by the way, are interchangeable terms. My soul exalts God. My spirit rejoices in God. I am spiritually serving God here. This is a spiritual thing. I rejoice in what God is doing. She doesn't say, yeah, you know, actually I am pretty good. I guess I, guess I am quite the person, huh? No, that's not Mary's response. Mary is humble. Mary is like, well, I, I, I just rejoice in what God is doing. I exalt in the work of God in my life. I don't, who am I? My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. And by the way, Mary needs a Savior, just like everyone else. Mary, for the record, is not the queen of heaven. Mary is not God's mother. Praying to Mary is of no value whatsoever. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That is Mother Mary. Mary serves an important, essential role, of course. But Mary's not exalting herself. You will recall the Pharisee who stood in the temple and said, well, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. I do this and that. That's, that's not Mary. She's not over here thanking God that she's such a wonderful person. She's not over here giving a list of all the great things. She, well, of course, God picked me because... I, no! No, she is, she is humble. She says this, verse 48, He has, re, has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. Her. Behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is his name. God has done an amazing thing. God is doing an amazing thing. We need to remember, in the culture in which she lived, the greatest thing a Jewish woman could do for her family. And we've mentioned this before. Yes, men can do businesses. Men can make money. Men, there's all kinds of things men can do. It's great. Men have their role and their responsibilities and things that they can and should do. But women have a unique role. Men don't have babies. Women have babies. 
The most valuable, precious thing your family is ever going to have are the children. Sure, dad can buy the house, dad can build the house. You need to come to a choice between the house and the kids. It's not even a choice. Give the house away if that's what we need to do to keep the kids. And it's the women who bring the kids. So, in a society that is thinking clearly, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the nation. We need to have honor for moms. Moms fulfill an essential God-given role in the bringing forth of the children. So, the better your kids do, the better reflection that is on mom. It's still true today, by the way, if we just had sense enough to look out there and say it. Ladies who do a good job of raising their kids deserve great honor. Well, as a Jewish mom, who would be the greatest Jewish mom ever? Well, the one who brings forth the promised Messiah. Eve thought maybe it was her. Eve's first pregnancy, she said, I've got a man-child from God. I mean, the wording of that indicates that she's wondering if maybe this is the Messiah. Sorry, Eve, that wasn't the Messiah. Oh, and by the way, Eve, you're not the mother of the Messiah, nor will you be. You will die, having never given birth to the Messiah. The list goes on. Sarai, she has a baby, not the Messiah. Sorry. Rebecca, she has a baby, not the Messiah. In fact, she has twins. We have Leah. She has six babies, boys. She has a girl, too. None of them are the Messiah. Rachel, she has two boys. Nope, neither one of them is the Messiah. This is all Jewish women's aspiration is that they would be the one to finally give birth to the Messiah. Wouldn't that be great? If only I could be that mom. Well, guess what? Somebody actually is that mom. Somebody really is that mom. Who is that? Mary. And what is her response to that? God has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant. Who in the world am I? I don't, I don't, I, I don't deserve this. God didn't pick me because of some great thing I did, because of some great accomplishment. I am simply the bondservant of God, and it's God who has done all these great things. She is the right person for this job because she gives all the glory to God. I, when God picked King Saul, he says to him, Samuel says to him, when you were small in your own eyes, that's when God chose you. When you didn't think much of yourself, that's when God picked you as king. This is what made John the Baptist the greatest man ever born. Because he said, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Mary is like, I'm just a bondservant. Which makes her the perfect young lady to be the mom of the Messiah. Verse 50 have to hurry here. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. She declares that God is, God is great to those who have regard for who God is. God actually is now mercifully carrying out what he promised Eve, what he promised Abraham, all those promises that God made. His mercy is towards those who actually trust him. The blessing given to Jewish girls was the blessing that they gave. May, may the blessing, may you be our, our own sister, they say to Rebecca. May you, our sister, become thousands, tens of thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. That's what they sent Rebecca off with. 
May this be you. This is the blessing that all Jewish girls hope for. It's the blessing given to Ruth when Boaz married her. All of these mothers, great mothers, great kids, Mary exceeds them all. So he has done mighty deeds with his arm. Verse 51, he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. If you look at Old Testament Israel's history, and you look at the, the time between Ezra and Nehemiah, and the fact that Israel is still in existence, the nations of the earth have tried to destroy Israel since its birth. Yet, God does mighty deeds with his arm. And he scatters those who are proud in their thoughts. He scatters those who try to destroy. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who are humble. That's what God has done. And he has filled, with, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. Those whom God, those who are humble before God, those who look to God for his salvation, throughout the history of Israel, God has always taken care of them. And now, verse 54, he's given help to Israel, his servant, and remembrance of his mercy. This promise that God made to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, and in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. God says to Abraham, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant with him and his descendants. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Paul will take that verse in Galatians and say, the promise was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He doesn't say to seeds, as in many, but to one, that is, the Christ. Through you, Abraham, the Christ will come. Mary looks around and says, here it is. It's actually happened. This is what God is doing. Now, we, obviously, the Messiah has come and has done what he has done. And none of us are, these events are never going to be repeated. Mary carries the very Messiah of God. But you know what? We are indwelled by the very Spirit of God. We are the temple of God. So just as God was at work back then, God is in work today. God is willing to use our lives just like he was willing to use their lives. We just have to see ourselves as vessels of the Spirit of God. He indwells us. We have been purchased. We are now what God is doing. God was at work then. God is at work now. God had things he wanted to accomplish then. God has things he wants to accomplish now. We just like them have to wake up to the fact that God is at work in our lives like he was at work in their lives. We're probably not going to see angels. They only saw an angel once. Zechariah saw one angel one time. And as things go, it didn't go well. Uh, so it's not like we need that. What we need to see is that the very Spirit of God indwells us and we can work and act in the power of the Spirit of God and do the work of God in this world. God is still at work. God still wants to do works through us if we will simply be the vessels he's called us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this amazing message that as we look at the life of Mary and Elizabeth, Zacharias and Joseph, um, 
regular people, but you did great things to their lives. Lord, we are regular people. May we not wait for some who knows what event before we finally decide that we should do what you ask us to do. We are your vessels. You have given us spiritual gifts. You have given us the message of the gospel. You have done great works in our lives. May we share these things. May we be willing to live for you and believe that just as you were at work in their lives, you continue to be at work in our life. Open our eyes to see your work in our lives. May we behold wondrous things out of your word, and may they drive and inspire and pull us to love you and to serve you more. Help us to be the people you want us to be. We pray in your son's precious name.